This is a podcast entitled What We Will Abide. In the first episode, I take a look at a text we read in a class I am teaching at the TBA school entitled Writing in Action and Activism. following is from an article written by Derek Jensen in 1998. It appeared in Earth First Journal. There is a link I have provided to the entirety of the article. It's not that long. But I'm going to read selections from it now, probably um, three or four of the paragraphs, and talk a little bit about what we talked about in the first of the writing in action and activism class this past Thursday night. Whether you know who Derek Jensen is or not, the first few lines of his essay here will introduce you to his perspective and to his worldview. So if you have the article, you can pull it up. If not, just feel free to listen. Here goes. Every morning, When I wake up, I ask myself whether I should write or blow up a dam. I'll repeat that first sentence again. Every morning when I wake up, I ask myself whether I should write or blow up a dam. Which means that when Derek Jensen wakes up in the morning, every morning, he has a choice to make. And it's an unpleasant one. It requires a decision about perpetrating violence. The question I have, of course, immediately, which come, the question that comes to mind for me immediately is, why blow up dams? And perhaps that question came up for you. Well, he answers that question in the next couple of sentences, but before I read them, and before you read them, contemplate for a second why someone might want to blow up a dam. And contemplate also his dilemma, wherein the other option is writing, and what the difference is between writing and blowing up a dam. Jensen goes on, I tell myself I should keep writing, though I'm not sure that's right. I've written books and done activism, but it is neither a lack of words nor a lack of activism that is killing salmon here in the Northwest. It's the dams. So Jensen's dilemma here is, at least at the outset, to do with the natural world. Jensen is, of course, an environmentalist. Some might call him a radical environmentalist. Others might call him an eco-terrorist. Perhaps someone who contemplates blowing up dams should have that label. But Jensen himself, of course, doesn't wake up and blow up dams. Instead, each morning he chooses to write instead. As far as I know that about Jetson, he hasn't actually ever blown up a dam. The question then becomes, why would one blow up a dam? For him, it's about the salmon. Here's the second paragraph. Anyone who knows anything about salmon knows the dams must go. Anyone who knows anything about politics knows the dams will stay. 
Think for a second here about Jensen's rhetorical method or his rhetorical strategy, the style that he's using. Right away here in the second paragraph, he's offered up something and then smashed it down. He's asking a bigger fundamental question about a purpose for living. And he's saying that he doesn't know whether if the salmon keep dying, he can go on living. Scientists study, he writes. Politicians and business people lie and delay. Bureaucrats hold sham public meetings. Activists write letters and press releases. And still, the salmon die. Does it really matter if Jensen blew up a dam? Would it really make a difference? He's asking, where, where does one make a difference? Does one make a difference with their writing? Or does one need to take more serious action? He's going to go on in the essay, as you'll see, and say that no matter what anyone does, the forces that be, the corporate forces that be, and the governmental forces that be, that support those corporate forces, are just going to keep doing what they're doing. They're going to keep building hydroelectric dams, and they're going to keep killing salmon with those hydroelectric dams because we need electricity to turn on our lights, to keep our refrigerators running, and to, and to keep our iPads aglow. I mean, anyone who is a proponent of a civilization would say, of course we need electricity. And that's precisely Derek Jensen's point right off the bat. He's reminding you that there are costs, that there's a price to pay for all these luxuries. And we don't see them. We don't think about them. And anyone who thinks about taking those luxuries away is seen as potentially nothing more or nothing less than a terrorist. As I read these next couple of paragraphs, I invite you to take note again of Jensen's particular narrative style. What are the choices that he makes? What are the approaches that he uses in order to convey his message? What kind of emotions is he wishing to evoke in his reader? He goes on, sadly enough, I'm not alone in my inability or unwillingness to take action. Think about that. He's equating writing to inaction. But is he really? He's equating blowing up a dam to action. And think about what that action might result in. For him, and potentially for the people that live nearby that dam, whose town might be flooded, Jensen has said time and time again that the short-term damage done by a flood is nothing compared to the long-term damage by the flood, as he is explaining here. As the salmon deplete, all the creatures that rely upon that salmon will also disappear. Ultimately, Jensen has said elsewhere, we will eventually rely on that salmon. And when the Columbia River, which is the river that he's referring to, dries up because of that dam and the salmon all die, we will starve. So 
inaction will lead to that. So maybe blowing up a dam is the only way to avoid that eventual disastrous outcome. The other outcome, of course, that will immediately come from blowing up a dam is that Derek Jensen will most likely be arrested. And then, of course, the dam will be rebuilt because, again, people need power. So where does the result really lie? And this is, again, the question that he's wrestling with. Members of the German resistance to Hitler from 1933 to 1945, for example, exhibited a striking blindness all too familiar. Despite knowing that Hitler had to be removed for a decent government to be installed, they spent more time creating paper versions of this theoretical government than attempting to remove him from power. It wasn't a lack of courage that caused this blindness, but rather a misguided sense of morals. Karl Gordler, for example, though tireless in attempting to create this new government, staunchly opposed assassinating Hitler, believing that if only the two could sit face to face, Hitler might relent. Well, the implication is obvious. As he wakes up every morning and he writes essays like this one, Hitler continues to do his damage. And who is Hitler for him? Well, he's going to tell you in the next paragraph, but it should be evident already. It's electric power companies. It's transnational deforesting companies. It's ExxonMobil. It's DuPont and it's Boeing. And it's the United States government. These are huge bohemian, no, not bohemian, <laughs> huge behemoths of forces. That one man can't stop with essays. And certainly, as I think Derek Jensen well knows, one man can't stop with a little bit of C4 and a detonator. The final paragraph I'm going to read is the fourth one. We too suffer from this blindness and must learn to differentiate between real and false hopes. We must eliminate false hopes which blind us to real possibilities. Does anyone really believe our protests will cause Weyerhaeuser or other timber transnationals to stop destroying forests? Note again the rhetorical style. Does anyone really believe the same corporate administrators who say they, quote, wish salmon would go extinct so we could just get on with living, end quote, that's a quote from Randy Hardy of Bonneville Power Association, will act other than to fulfill their desires? Does anyone really believe a pattern of exploitation as old as our civilization can be halted legislatively, judicially, or through means other than an absolute rejection of the mindset that engineers the exploitation, followed by actions based on that rejection. Does anybody really think that those who are destroying the world will stop because we ask nicely or because we lock arms peacefully in front of their offices? It's a bitter, bitter question that Jensen is asking here, and he's indicting himself along with all other activists who call themselves activists who lock arms and sing kumbaya outside the offices, let's say, of Monsanto. Is Greenpeace really doing anything? Are these people really doing anything to stop these huge, immutable forces from destroying the world? That's his main concern. And in the end, he points a finger directly at himself. Do I wake up every morning and write another essay that 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 people will read, or do I blow up a dam, one of many thousands in the United States, and put a halt momentarily to the great industrial machine 
to allow for some salmon to live. I think that Jensen knows that either one makes but a small dent in the bigger picture. I, I'm sure that Jensen knows that if he were to blow up a dam, he'd be making a temporary statement of resistance against industry, against climate change, against the systematic destruction of the natural world, which includes human beings. But again, the operative word there is temporary. And so instead, he wakes up every morning and he writes, and he writes, and he writes. And what I guess he hopes is, is that someday the message will get across to enough people. But here's where my own editorial comes in to play. I find myself in the same state of mind. How many people can I convince that industry like this, that the military-industrial complex, that the familiar and traditional forms of government are just perpetuating the status quo, keeping the elites safe, and ultimately driving us all to destruction and extinction, to put it lightly. So if we all know that, and we all know that those forces are really out of control and unstoppable, what are we doing? And so to that end, feeling helpless, I wrote an email to Derek Jensen. Here's what I wrote to him on April 12, 2016. The title of my email is you once said you can't keep being friends with people. You have to convince that civilization is on the precipice of collapse. And he did say that in an interview. His point was he was just tired of having to start from scratch with everyone and beat them over the head with the overwhelming amount of evidence that we're headed for a fall. He couldn't be friends with those people anymore because he couldn't have to keep explaining himself from square one. So I write, I read your books with a wish to absorb and retain as much as possible so I can make my arguments as convincing as possible so that the mass of self-deceived people I encounter every day will be moved to change their minds or at least get them working again. And I spent a lot of time and emotional energy on this, but what's the point? My recent line of thinking has been all this talk and effort to convince people will be rendered pointless when civilization collapses and they see it with their own eyes, that is, if they survive. Alternatively, the planet dies, takes the entire human species with it, in which case there will be nobody around to nod wistfully and say, damn, guess you were right. So why do I do it? I think I do it because it's a means of exerting some modicum of control in a society wherein I have no control, where the destruction and consumption of ex and exploitation and torture and violence and ignorance continues with impunity. I have no control at all in this world, so this this one small, pretty empty way of control is a way of exerting the control that I actually don't have. In the end, I realized, I think maybe all the arguing and bombast is just for me. It's a selfish act, this effort. I'm stymied by ignorance born of comfort and complacency all the time. It's exhausting enough to battle my own. And so I asked Eric Jensen a question. Is it time to move on? I mean, honestly, if I give up, you'll still be out there toiling right. And I sent that off to him. I think my point here in the email that I wrote to him is, I realize why I'm doing all of this, why I'm fighting as hard as I'm fighting when I write, when I speak, when I try and convince people. 
And I'm doing it mostly for myself because it's not really going to change anything. In an essay she wrote in 2013 called We Call This Progress, Arundhati Roy writes about, in the main, how Indian democracy is basically a shadow of itself and a joke. She writes about the indigenous people living in central India who are being targeted by their own government, who are being labeled as eco-terrorists or just terrorists, Maoist terrorists, because they're trying to keep their land unspoiled, keep it safe from the Indian government, which, which wants to mine all the mountains for bauxite, which they can then sell to private companies. At the end of this essay, Roy writes this. Quite often, when you see what is being done to people, it creates rage in you and humiliation if you keep quiet. This is how Derek Jensen feels about the salmon, and so much else. People ask me why I write, and I say it's in order to not be humiliated, continues Roy. I don't write for anything else except not to be humiliated. Every time I write, I keep telling myself that I won't do it again, but it's like I can't contain it inside my body. I write, and it's a relief. As a writer, if you know something and you keep quiet, it's like dying. Between the various choices of fear, I still choose to write rather than not write. I think the same is true of Jensen, and that's the point that he makes in the essay, if you read the rest of it, and a lot of his other essays. My question to those of you interested in writing and activism, writing and action and activism is, simply, twofold. Number one, why do you write? What injustices are out there that you write for? What's your cause? Those are the two questions. What is your cause? And ultimately, what's deep at the root, deep at the core of why you do it? So if you are someone who speaks out for something, no matter what it is, whether it's an economic cause or a social cause or a religious cause, you should ask yourself why you're doing it. What's at the deepest core of your motivation for writing? Is it because you're afraid that you might engage in some violent activity if you don't, like Derek Jensen? Or do you do it like Arundhati Roy because otherwise you would feel utterly crushed and humiliated? Or is there some other reason? These and other questions are those that we continue to explore in writing, in action, and activism. If you're interested in joining us at the TBA school at 43 North Lime Street, the class is currently meeting on Thursdays through August 11th from 5.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. You can contact me at any of the contact information that you see or simply at samschindler.com or sam.schindler at gmail.com. Hope to see you soon. Original music is by Morning Stillness. The song is called Black Vulture. I see the black vulture picking at the carcass in the road. He is the purifier, new messiah, times yet to unfold. What message does?